Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Proverbs. We had a message on Thanksgiving this uh, last Sunday, so we'll continue with our teachings in Proverbs. And I was asked by one uh, last Wednesday evening why we kept teaching on these uh, sensual and strange women and uh, the various things that were here. And I said, it's because it's in the context. Well, we got another chapter on it tonight, but we'll get in the chapter 8 will be a different story. And I hope to get into chapter 8 tonight. We won't deal as uh, thoroughly as we have been, but what I usually do is take the Scripture as it comes. And if it's uh, on one subject, that's the subject that's taught. If it moves out to another subject, I don't bring that one up again. I just try to go on with the rest of it. So anyway, that's what we're teaching tonight. And I believe that we'll divide, the <clears throat> first of all, the uh, chapter up in this way. The first uh, five verses have to do with a kind of a prologue of what you'll find. And then uh, verses 6 through uh, down to verse uh, 15 have to do with the, the uh, sensuous woman, the strange woman, or adulterous woman. And then verses 16 through 18, a sensual appeal that she makes. Verses 19 and 20, how the, the whole plea of her words is pressed home, and then verses uh, 22 through 23 is, is uh, we call it the kill because it brings death, and then verses uh, 24 through 27, we have the epilogue of this chapter. But we take it verse by verse, and I believe you get more out of it that way anyway. So let's look at verse 1. It says, My son, keep my words, and lay up my commandments with thee. In saying, keep them, he's saying uh, to make them a part of you. Keep them close, know them, understand them, and lay them up as you would lay up for a, a treasure or lay up in store. You know, the psalmist said, Thy words have I hid in mine heart. So he laid them up that, that I might not sin against thee. And it says in verse 2, Keep my commandments and live. In other words, the best advice must be taken into the heart and into the life. If you keep them, you can live. And if you do not obey them, in other words, they must be practical in your heart and life if you're going to live by the Word of God. In other words, it's not this just to know. It's not just to know the Word, but it's to put it in practice in your life. And the warnings that are given in these first five verses and the... Uh, Necessity to keep the Word of God will be that which will keep from danger and evil and sin that we'll find that this particular one will face or anyone will face in life as we uh, see in the temptations that will be revealed in the next part of the chapter. And so we must put God's Word into our hearts and lives and make them practical in our hearts and lives. It says in verse 3, Bind them upon thy fingers. Now look, write them upon the table of thine heart. You know, sometimes we uh, don't understand what all it means when it says uh, some of the, gives us some of these terms. It says, Bind them upon thy fingers. Remember, Jesus speaks of the phylacrities, and actually these are things that were worn both on the hand and on the forehead, and it consisted in the Old Testament days of... A, a little leather box containing strips of parchment on which were written four texts, four texts from Exodus and Deuteronomy. And I'll give you those in just a moment. And they were attached with a leather strap wrapped seven times around the arm and three times around the middle finger. I mean, uh, I'm glad that the psalmist says, Bind them upon thy fingers, but then the last part, Write them upon the table of thine heart. I'd rather than carry a box around with a bunch of parchments with the commandments or certain instructions written on this box and 
wrapped around my arm with a leather string and around my finger three times, I'd rather write them on the table of my heart, hadn't you? So we're in the New Testament days now, aren't we? We're not under the law. But I would like for us to know, notice the four texts. There are four texts that are given that they were to write upon their hearts. Uh, I mean, actually on their uh, uh, hands and on their foreheads. When it says, bound on the fingers and write them upon the table of thine heart, this is the equivalent to what was said about their foreheads uh, previously. But I want to give you the four texts that were in view. And if you'll look in uh, Exodus 13, 1 through 10, Exodus 13, 1 through 10, and I'm not going to read all of it, but I just, I'm just going to read uh, verses 8 through 10, because if you want to read the whole passage and copy the whole passage that was referred to, look at verse 8 through 10. It says, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, now look, upon thine hand, and for a memorial of between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth, for with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of, of Egypt. I'll just read that one. Thou shalt keep uh, this ordinance in th his season from year to year. Now then, when you drop on down... Verses 11 through 16, let me read another verse that will show you. Verse 16, just verse 16, and you can read the context of, of their deliverance and, and the uh, fact of redemption is the subject of their deliverance. And verse 16 says, It shall be for a token upon thine hand, now look, here it is, and for frontless between thine eyes. For by, the strength, of, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of out of Egypt. So there's a lot said about hand and for frontlets between thine eyes. And uh, then we'll come back to, uh, do, come over to Deuteronomy chapter 4. No, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's begin reading with verse 4. <clears throat> and remember that we're talking about the hand and frontlets between thine eyes, which were these phylacteries that are spoken of. This little leather box containing the strips of these various uh, text that I'm giving to you, the various texts, and these four were especially close to Israel because it spoke of their redemption out of Egypt, and God wanted them to remember that, so He said, I'm going to, I'm going to tie it to your hand, and I'm going to put it upon as frontless between thine eyes. I want you to remember it with your mind, and I want it to be close at hand by you so that you'll know about it all time. And so let's read verses 4 through 6. I mean, through, uh, what did I say? 4 through, 4 through 9. 4 through 9. You have Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, <clears throat> and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them. Here you have the binding. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and of thy gates. Now then, hold your place there just momentarily. And let me read this verse again in Proverbs. It says, Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. You see, that's what Proverbs 7 verse 3 is talking about. 
Bind them upon thy fingers. Now then, if you still have Deuteronomy, turn to the 11th chapter. The 11th chapter. These are the four texts that were written uh, on these parchment strips that were worn on both the hand and the forehead, consisting of a leather box, as we reminded you, and attached to, a, to the arm by a leather strap, wrapped around the arm seven times and around the finger three times. And this was carried about to remind them of what God's Word. I'm glad it's more simple than that today, aren't you? That we can read the Word of God and hide it in our heart and know the Word of God. We ought to memorize it. We don't have to carry it around. But look, in Deuteronomy 11, let me give you another reference to show you. Verses 13 through 21. We won't read all of it. But you you would want to begin with verse 13. But let's drop down to about uh, verse 18. It would get, give us the real important part of the, of the emphasis of binding them. It says in verse 18, Therefore shall you lay up on... Upon these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand. See that? That they may be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall teach them uh, your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. All the time, talk about the word of God. And thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied in the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Uh, you could go on and on. In, in the book of Deuteronomy, it is emphasizing the closeness of the word of God to the heart and to the life. And of course, as I've already said, today... We do it by reading the Word of God, by hiding His Word in our hearts, by taking the teachings of God's Word and knowing what God's Word says. And thus we are prepared. You know, in the New Testament, uh, Peter it is that says that we're to be able to give a reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear, right? So by doing that, how can we do it unless we're established in the Word of God? All right, look at uh, verse you have uh, Proverbs 7 now. Hold your place where we're studying. Proverbs 7. We just read verse 3. Now in verse 4 it says, Say unto wisdom, Thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. Now what's he saying here? Make the word of God, the wisdom that comes from the, un and understanding from the word of God, make it so personal to you that you will say, This is my sister. See? You personify. Here, wisdom is personified. And it is so close, and it says, And call understanding thy kinswoman. Now look, here's the reason. Verse 5 is the reason. That they may keep thee from the strange woman. Now there's another voice that's going to come. So you need the voice of wisdom and understanding so personal to you that the Word of God is speaking to you in order to keep you from what? Evil. And we're going to find all the evils that are presented by the strange woman in a moment that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. She's got words. Her words are evil words. The word of wisdom is words of truth and words of guidance and words of understanding. And so you have these contrasted. The, the, the one that is your sister and your kins, kinswoman compared to the one that is the strange woman that flatters with her words. You have good on one side and evil on the other. Wisdom personified. So, what is it? At the very outset of the, even the approach of the thought of temptation, remember that you need the word of wisdom so close to you that it's like your sister, one very dear, or your kinswoman, one very near into your family. Now, if we don't get the word that close to us, 
Then when the other one that comes along that has flattering words, if we do not let the Word of God dwell in us richly in our heart, then the other one will, the flattering words will overcome and entice to sin and to temptation and to evil and ultimately to death. That's what will happen. Now we're going to pick up with verse uh, 6. It says, For at the window of my house I look through my casement, like the lattice, you know, like the blinds. I look through the blinds of the window. We call them Venetian blinds or sun vertical blinds. And open the blinds and you look. I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones. I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Here's the victim. Here's the victim of the strange woman. He's called here a young man. He's called a man uh, void of understanding. We would say inexperienced. We would say one that's feather-headed, one that's uh, easily tempted or drawn aside. And we find that that is the character that we're dealing with. The simple ones, uh, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding, uh, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house. No deliberate intention of sinning, and yet putting himself in the way of temptation. Did you know to put yourself in the way of temptation is just almost inviting disaster? The Word of God teaches us to shun the very appearance of evil. And here this young man was putting himself in the very direct path of temptation, maybe nonchalantly, just happened so, not caring, saying, oh, it won't bother me, but don't ever kid yourself. That's the way the devil works. I heard Dr. Oldham say one time if he went by riding down the fence line, he went by a fence post and there's a rattlesnake jumped out and tried to bite him. He said, I'm not going to go by that post anymore. That snake might be there again. But anyway, that's the way it is. If we put ourselves in the place of temptation or in the way of it. Okay, it says, passing through the street, verse 8, near her corner. And he went, to, went the way to her house in the twilight in the evening. It wasn't the twilight of morning, but in the evening. In the black and dark night, he waited till nightfall was upon. Then he says, And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. Here is the tempter, the seductress, the huntress. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. She's not like the good women that, that stay in their house and take the home as the very center of their castle and their uh, domain. She has other interests. Another interest is to entice and to tempt. And she keeps nothing back. She's loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now, now is she without, now in the streets, and life in wait at every corner. And then we're going to see her tactics from verses 13 through 21, the tactics that are used. We might say that this is an, not just an harlot, but an adulterous woman, because we're referred to in, in a little bit where there's a good man of the house. Or she has a husband. She says he's gone away on a journey. He won't be back for a while. So that opens the door to temptation. But you just follow this on down. You know, beloved, even though these are difficult passages of Scripture, let me say in all sincerity that God's Word says every word of God is to be taught and to be preached and taught. And uh, Paul says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. If it wasn't important that we understand these things, it wouldn't have been in the Word of God. And it's here for our learning and though it may be somewhat embarrassing at times or somewhat direct, it needs to be taught. Now, I want you to notice this. So she caught him. Here's her tactic. She caught him and kissed him and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee. 
diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. Look at the treatment she gives. Almost as if it was a sharp treatment. To just she kissed him and she said, You're the one I've been looking for. Right? Flattery. Look back in verse 5. Look at verse 5. That they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Now, if this young man had been prepared and wisdom had been hidden in his heart and the word of God in his heart and he was giving heed to it, he would know well what to expect. Right? But if he did not give heed to the word of God, he would be most vulnerable. Now, I want you to notice that these verses again, verse 13, verse 14. He says, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. My goodness. Here's a woman, an adulterous woman, tempting a young man who is a very vulnerable, who she, whom she knows has no sense of reasoning and uh, is easy to fall in, into the temptation, and doing so from somewhat a religious standpoint. I want you to see this. I want you to get the connection. She said, I have peace offerings. Look back in Leviticus 7. Leviticus 7. I believe it's good that you understand this portion of Scripture. Let's begin with verse 11. Leviticus 7, verse 11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings. She had peace offerings, right? And she had paid her vow. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer unto the Lord. If he offer it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer it with a sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mingled with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and cakes mingled with oil of fine flour fried beside the cakes he shall offer. For his offering leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering, and it shall be, and of it he shall offer one of the whole oblation for an heave offering unto the Lord, and it shall be the priest that sprinkle the blood of the peace offering. Now verse fifteen, and the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings. She says, I have peace offerings that I, I've offered, and the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings. Look at this now. For thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. For if the sacrifice of his offering be a vow or the voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offered his sacrifice. On the morning, on the morrow also, the remainder of it shall be eaten. But the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt with fire. Let's just turn back now to our text. With that background in view... Let's look what she said. She says, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vow. It was a thank offering. It was a peace offering. And she's saying to this young man, I've performed my religious vows, and I have all this feast, the, the food of this peace offering, she was to eat. And she was inviting him to eat this with her, as well as all the enticement that was about later to come. See this religious, she says, I have a special... A ceremony day, a celebration day here. I've offered my peace offerings and my thank offerings to God. You see how the religious is is the the blind or the background for all the evil that she's about to do. I wonder if some of our religious or religious days or feast days haven't been turned into debauchery and 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 sin. You know, I see people that on Christmas Day and along about that time of the year, they can't help but just be. Uh, looped a little bit, just drunk, intoxicated. Right? My, it seems like it's a special time of year for folks to get drunk. And you know, other re other religious days they do the same thing. You see, what they're really doing is hiding behind 
the day as if it's very religious and then turning to evil and to sin and to all kinds of evil and wicked things. Beloved, sometimes we do that in, in religious things that in spiritual in things that are supposed to be spiritual and, and true and pure. Paul warned the warned the Corinthians, he says, these people that are partaking of these love feasts with you, he says, when you come together to take the Lord's Supper, they come and they eat their own supper and they're drunken. Didn't he? He says, you cannot take the Lord's Supper in that condition. He says, you have all these folks coming in here, and one eats and the other's hungry. He says, you have some houses to eat in. But he says, when you come together to take the Lord's Supper, you cannot do it with this kind of a situation going on. And you can study it in the Corinthians. And beloved, they had turned it into their religious things, into unholy things. If we're not careful... And you and I have to be careful. We can turn the most spiritual fellowships and and uh, purposes, intentions, uh, all we can li- permit it to become evil. Sometimes our most unholy things are done when we're supposed to be the most holy. And I'm saying that in all seriousness because people do turn spiritual things into something that is not spiritual but actually carnal and sinful. And we have to guard against that. And you and I... If we're going to live for God, we, we, we see the warning. We know that that is true in many instances. And there's just a very narrow line between spiritual love and, and, and fellowship and Christian uh, growth and spiritual things and fleshly things that come into the picture. That's why you find in some of these very emotional groups where everyone is just loving everybody and supposed to be in a spiritual way and the flesh gets controlled, and what happened? All kinds of families broken up, adultery, and various things happened because of the lack to discern between the spiritual love and the fleshly love. And it happens time and time again. And God's Word gives us the warnings and understandings about this thing, these things. And if we keep it in mind, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And beloved, it's not that any person is not capable of falling into sin. It's that God has given us certain guidelines and guardlines where if we'll follow God's Word, we will be more likely to be able to live the kind of life God would have us to live. Uh, Over in the book of Galatians, you know, Paul says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, he says, Ye which are spiritual, and that's the need is for spiritual, to restore such an one, what? In the spirit of meekness. Now look, the next verse, Considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. In other words, to realize that we're all capable of a fall, but at the same time to realize that we're to restore our uh, brother if he's fallen. And the warnings in God's Word are, well, uh, we need well to take them to heart. So he says, um, it says in verse 15, Therefore came I forth diligently, there, uh, no, therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. She says, I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry. Here's this uh, sensuous appeal. Uh, with uh, carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. Very lacy type of materials. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with love. Now then, she gives the whole plea of her words coming in this fashion. A flood of words. In verse 19 and 20, For the goodman is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. He's gone to do a great deal of business. And because she adds, you know, he's got a bag of money, so that means he's 
he's certainly going to be a long time. He's not going to arrive home before the appointed time. And will come home at the day appointed. He has too much business to take care of to worry about me. So everything's going to be all right. This is her temptation. It says, With her much fair speech she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, as a fool to the correction of the stock, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to a snare, to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. The final outcome is death. In verse 24 through 27, we have the epilogue of this whole situation. It says, Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded. The ones that have fallen by this kind of temptation are not a few, but thousands, multitudes, many. The word many is to really be taken literally. It says, Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. You go back and study the Old Testament. Look at Judah. Remember Judah? In the 38th chapter of Genesis, a sad story. I'll let you read it to yourself. Get home, you read it. Judah. You, you read of uh, Samson. You read of David. You read of Solomon. You read of... It's, look at this. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men. These were strong men. These were not weaklings. And remember, the Bible says Judah is a lion's whelp. The Bible says of Judah, uh, the lion of the Jesus came of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's compared to a lion. Judah means praise, actually. But even this can fall into temptation. And you go back and read the story, and you'll find that it's true. Look at Samson, one that God had given us special powers. Look at David, a man after God's own heart. Look at Solomon. He says that Solomon in all his glory, Jesus referred back to to Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Then it says in verse 27, look, her house is the way to hell. Look at that. Going down to the chambers of death, both destruction of body and soul. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. So I think that if you, you know, the Bible says, let me give you a verse of Scripture. Turn to Psalms 19. I want to read this for you. Psalm 19. We've been studying about the Word of God, we've been studying about wisdom and understanding and the warnings that come from the Word of God. And let me read these verses, beginning with verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Now verse 11. Moreover, by them. By what? The law of God, by the testimony, by the statutes, by the commandments, by the judgment. Right? Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. That word? And in keeping of them there is great reward. I think I preached your message on the warnings and the rewards of the word of God not too long back. Is thy servant worn, and in keeping of them is great reward. Back to Proverbs chapter 8. We have wisdom here. Wisdom in verses 1 through 5 as a guide for every man. We'll give you a division as we come to them. And I believe that would be best because you'll forget it if I go just through it. Verses 1 through 5, it's a guide to every man. Look, it says, Doth not wisdom cry? That's a question. Wisdom cries out, and understanding put forth her voice. That's another question. She standeth in the top of high places, by the way, in the places of paths. You see the different places? For 
In other words, wisdom as a guide for every man of every state, of every character, of every situation. Look, she crieth at the gates, at the gates, at the entry of the city. It says, at the coming in at the door. Look at the various places. What? Unto you, O man, I call, and my voice is, un- is to the sons of man. So what does wisdom do? Wisdom cries in every place. The high places, the paths, the, the gates, the entry of the city, the doors of the city, or the doors of, actually coming in at the doors of the houses too. So wisdom is everywhere, crying to every man. And verse 4 makes it very definite of the cry of wisdom. Unto you, O men, I call. God's wisdom doesn't call to animals, though animals have a certain uh, nature about them that God has given them to, to guide them in, in life and in their necessities. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the wisdom that is above that of the animal nature. We're talking about the wisdom that comes from God that's crying to the hearts of men. It says, And my voice is to the sons of man. Verse 5, O ye simple ones, O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be a be ye of an understanding heart. The first thing we're called upon to do is to understand wisdom. And in verses 6, 6 through 13, we have wisdom as morality's other self. It guides us in, in our moral, uh, in moral guidance. Verses 6 through 13. It says here, For I will speak of excellent things, things that are excellent. And the opening of my lips shall be right things. Notice the things that wisdom speaks of. Excellent things, right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness. There is nothing a forward or perverse in them, not any lies about them, not any forwardness or perverseness, not any hypocrisy about wisdom, is there? It's all what? True. Verse 7. It's all excellent. Verse 6. It's right. Verse 6. Verse 9 says, They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to, to them that find knowledge. Plain, clear, understandable, and right to them that find knowledge. Do you ever find a Christian? Let me put this you ever find a Christian that says, I don't know if God's Word is right. I don't know if this is the right way or this. I, I can't see and understand because God's Word doesn't make it plain. God's Word is very plain and very clear, isn't it? It tells us what to do and what not to do. It tells us that it's the right way. It tells us it's the good way. It tells us it's the right path. And so we don't have any doubt about these things. And the Christian, the child of God, knows that that is true. Verse 10 says, Look, receive my instruction and not silver. What does it mean? It, it means that God's instruction is greater than silver. Some people are seeking silver, right? And then it says, and, and it says, and knowledge rather than choice gold. How many are investing in the gold and silver markets today? And what is gold's, what, $400, $500 an ounce or $350 or whatever it is? Even all that's too much. God's Word is more valuable than all of it, isn't it? What, what good will do an ounce of gold? And by the way, isn't there only 12 ounces to, to a pound of gold? Isn't it less than regular measure? I think so in precious metals. But what I'm saying is, look at this. When you think of the fact, when you think of the fact that God's Word is richer than this, and why people seek it, you can't eat that gold if, if a famine comes, can you? Say, so, oh, I can take the gold and buy something. 
Well, there will be a day that they'll cast all their silver and gold and everything to the moles in the back. They'll say, I wish God was just near me and it would help me and He'd supply my needs. There'll be a day that all this will be worthless and useless. And even though we see pictured in the New Testament in the book of Revelation that we'll walk on streets of gold and all the glorious things of heaven, I believe it's speaking of the spiritual and the blessings that come from God. And even though some of those things are probably literal too, we're just saying that the riches that come from God, we read a verse that says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and addeth no sorrow with it. So whatever kind of riches God's had, God has for us, it's better than all the silver and gold of this world. So it says here, verse uh, 10, you have it? Receive my instruction and not silver. In other words, receive my instruction even above the value of silver. And knowledge rather than choice gold. Now look, verse 11. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. All the things that a man might desire. You know, Paul says that I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, now listen, New Testament, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. See, that same thing here with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Don't you have the same idea here? All things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. Our wisdom dwell with prudence and find uh, out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and, e and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. These two verses go together. Verses 14 through 21 shows us wisdom's reward. Someone says, well, what if I... Uh, just major, what if I major in getting the Word of God in my heart and hiding the Word of God in my heart and having understanding and getting wisdom? The Bible says, with all I getting, get understanding, right? Now look, what if I do that? What are the rewards? Beginning with verse 14. It says, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me kings reign and princes decree justice. Those that do under God and reign as God would have them to. By me princes rule, and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. Here's the rewards. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my, rev my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment. Can anyone ask for better rewards than these? It says in verse 21, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. Think of that. Someone says, well, I don't have any treasures filled. You know, the believer's substance and treasures is not always seen in material and physical and monetary ways, though God gives us all of that that we need and provides that as we need it, some way, somehow, through someone. You know, we claim to be so independent. None of us are independent. We all depend on others. That's, I remember uh, Dr. J. Harold Smith one time, he preached at a fellowship meeting in Arlington. He says, you know, he's with the Southern Baptist Convention, but he preached at our fellowship, the Independent Baptist, the, the Bible Baptist, the... Uh, the World Baptist Fellowship, Fundamental Baptist Group. Okay, what he did, he was preaching that day, and someone said, well, Brother brother uh, Smith, he says, I want to know what kind of Baptist you are. And he didn't say, I'm an independent Baptist. He didn't say, I'm a Southern Baptist. He didn't say none of that. He says, I, he got up and he preached. He says, I'm a dependent Baptist. 
instead of independent Baptist. So we, we are independent in some ways, but we're dependent in every way. And we all depend upon one another. And uh, we, must, we ought to realize we're dependent as well. And thank God that that is true, because that way we can help one another. That way, that way I can help you and you can help me. That way you can help others and, and others can help you. It, it goes around, doesn't it? What goes around comes around. And so just thank God that we're not uh, living to ourselves. No man liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. Now I want you to notice here. It says, Them that love me, that I'm going those that love me to inherit substance and I will fill their treasure. I want to give you this quickly now. Wisdom's role in creation, verses 22 through 31. It says, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set upon, I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. When God created the heavens and the earth, wisdom in him was uh, magnified, wisdom was in action, wisdom was being used, wisdom was his way of doing it, and wisdom was centered in himself. Verse 24, when there, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. In other words, what we're saying here, that God in wisdom created the heavens and the earth and everything. He didn't do this without divine wisdom, because he is the source and the, uh, the, the fullness of all wisdom. In fact, you have a text in the New Testament that speaks of Christ that says, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And the Bible says further concerning Jesus, that he has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And it says further of Christ that Christ is the power of God and the what? wisdom of God. Right? Verse 24. When there were no depths, I was, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the height, highest part of the dust of the world. Before there was ever the world made. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the, of the depth. When he established the clouds above. When he strengthened the fountains of the deep. When he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment. When he appointed the uh, foundations of the earth. Then I was by him. We might say that this is personified in the Lord Jesus Christ because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. See? Then I was by him as one brought up uh, with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Look at that. Rejoicing in the habitable part of the earth, and my delights were in the sons of me. Great in creation, right? Wisdom's role in creation. And then the last part of this chapter is only uh, the verses 32 through 36. And this is wisdom's appeal, an appeal driven home. You know, it's good to, good to establish something. It's good to get it all in order. It's good to saw a board and get a nail started, right? But you have to drive it home and make the shelf secure. If you don't finish it, it's going to fall apart, right? So wisdom, is, is, it's been presented, it's been given. All the materials are together. All the focus needs to be upon putting it into practice, driving it home to our hearts. And here you find it, verse 32. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. You better listen and you better do. Right? Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. 
You know, a man that will refuse instruction is just doing himself harm. Thank you for your patience.